So this morning we begin a brand new series, a series that is going to take us all the way to December into Advent, believe it or not, a series that we are calling Jesus Asks. Scholars would say that, that across the gospel accounts, Jesus asks like 307 questions. Now out of the 183 questions that he's asked, he only answers a handful of those. So I haven't gone line by line through my Bible to verify that count, but even a real quick reading of the Gospels bears this out, that Jesus is constantly asking questions. Questions that are as real and important for you and I as, as they were for the people that we'll meet in this series. And the thing that, that you have to know about these questions that we're going to be exploring here over these next 10 or so weeks is that, that these are questions that Jesus is still asking us today. Asking you to reveal the condition of your heart, to form your life, to bring your focus onto Christ. And, and that's so important for us in this season as a church family. As we move into the autumn of 2019, it, it is going to be a time of change for us to call out some of those changes and some of the new opportunities that we'll see. So there are going to be new ministry opportunities that are, arise our existing ministries are reconvening for the 2019-2020 school year. This past Wednesday, between our 5th and 6th graders and our 7th and 8th graders getting started back for the fall, we had 218 students and leaders here this past Wednesday. And our, our children's ministry, our elementary age kids aren't even in the building yet. So 218 so this place is going to be a beehive of activity, even more so when we hit October. We're going to encounter new people with new needs. We're, we're moving into new spaces, and we will experience a change in leadership. And in times of change, when the pieces are, are moving, it, it is paramount that we continue to center on Jesus. And so to help us do exactly that, we're going to look at these questions that Jesus asks throughout the Gospels. So if you have your bulletin this morning, and again, if it hasn't already fallen out, you'll find this postcard. And as I always say, this postcard really is your roadmap to our next couple of weeks. And the reason that we give you these scriptures is so that you can spend time in the word with what we're going to be talking about before we gather together on a Sunday morning. And to take it a step farther, we'll even send these scriptures to you right into your email box if you want that. So if you are not receiving our weekly email with those scriptures, and you'd like to receive those, simply go onto our Mannheim BIC website, and as soon as that initial page opens up, you'll see an invitation there that will allow you to sign up for that weekly email. Or if you are following us on the Bible app, there's a link there that will allow you to subscribe to that same weekly email. And then if you're already on our distribution list, you want to stay on that list. There's no action needed on your part. You're good. And again, as always, we get these scriptures to you because we want to give you as many opportunities as we can to allow God's word to take root in your life and to propel you into a deeper relationship with God. 
And one last thing as we get started, uh, another resource for you. So uh, across this series, uh, our teaching pastors will be bringing this series out of, of God's word, bringing that truth to you right out of the Bible. But as a secondary resource, and you might be interested in this, our teaching pastors will be referring to a study called The Questions That Jesus Asks by Dale and Cindy Larson to really help us open up and think through these piercing, insightful questions. So lots of setup this morning, but all important, Jesus asks, here we go. What do you want? What is it that you are looking for? Have you ever been looking for something? Maybe it's something that you've lost. Maybe it's something that you never had in the first place, but it's something that that you definitely want. Have you ever been looking for something and you are absolutely driven to find it? Back this past spring, I went for a run out at pumping station off of 322. And when I run, I only have my car key on me and my cell phone. So sometimes a handheld water bottle, depending on how far I'm going to go. But absolutely that car key and my phone. And I take all my other stuff, so my key fob and my wallet, and I put them in the center console of my car. So I even took a picture to help you visualize this. Can I have that picture, right? So there's the center console in my car. And, and, and so I open that thing up and I put my key fob and my wallet in there every single time before I run, or so I thought. So I get back home from my run. I've got my car key on me. So I get in my car, drive all the way home. I get inside the house and realize that I left my key fob and my wallet in this center console. So I go back out and my key fob is there, but there's no wallet. So I go back in the house thinking maybe I set it down someplace. I retrace my steps, no wallet. I go back to the car, right? Maybe my my wallet fell deeper down in the console, got buried underneath something, no wallet. I literally went back to the center console a second time, a third time, a fourth time, no wallet. I I, I went to the place where I sit down on the sidewalk leading up to our front door where I I put my, my shoes on before I even left from my run thinking maybe I left it there, no wallet. Sometimes I'll have my my hands full of things and I thought, well, maybe I put it on like the hood of my car before I got in and drove away. And so I literally got in my car and drove all the way back out to pumping station looking at the side of the road, no wallet. Got to pumping station, walked around the parking lot, no wallet. For the life of me, I could not find this thing. So then, then I start to second guess myself. Maybe the wallet never even made it into the car. Maybe on my way out, I absentmindedly sat it someplace and it's in my house someplace. And so I search my house, no wallet. I often make a to-do list at the beginning of my week and literally find wallet made that to-do list week after week after week. So I watched my bank accounts, right? So nobody was stealing anything, so that reinforced my sense that it was someplace not ripped off. I just had no idea where. Three months go by. Cindy said, people are not gonna believe that you survived three months without your wallet, but I did. 
Three months go by, and I'm at this class that they force BIC pastors to go to. It's an all-day thing. I grabbed a quick lunch at Wendy's. I'm, I'm finishing up in, in the parking lot before I go back into the class. And I'm sitting in my car, and I realize that there is a second compartment built into the lid of that console. I open it up, and guess what's there? My wallet. Exactly where I left it, in that console, I had been looking and looking for months, looking in the right place, but the wrong place as well. So that's, that's my story, my answer to this question. Have you ever been looking for something and you were absolutely driven to find it? I wonder how you would answer that same question. Have you ever been looking for something like that? Again, maybe something you lost or maybe something that you never had in the first place, but something that you definitely wanted. Have, have you ever been looking for something and you were driven to find that thing? I think most of us, if not all of us, can answer this question with a yes. But the thing that I'm really interested in is as you were looking for that thing, how did that feel to you? What's going through your mind as you search? Maybe like me, it's desperation. Maybe irritated that you've got to hunt for the thing in the first place. Maybe a sense of excitement as you finally realize that your search has paid off and you found that thing. This morning, we're going to come into, into what is probably one of the most basic, yet one of the most critical questions that Jesus asks anyone. What do you want? What are you looking for? And to see this, we're going to go to, to, to God's word. And we're going to be in John chapter 1, starting in, in verse 29. And the backstory here is that John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, is saying, hey, hey guys, this one that I've been talking about, here he is. This is the guy. This is Jesus. So two things I want you to do for me as we read this. The first thing is this. Notice all the ways that, that John describes Jesus. How John says, hey, hey, this is the one that I've been telling you about. And secondly, if you're comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes as I read these verses. And actually imagine yourself in this story. And, and in this story, we're going to meet two followers of John the Baptist who decide to instead follow Jesus. And so put yourself in their shoes. Picture what this scene might have looked like through their eyes, the sights, notice the noises, the smells. How, how do they feel? What is going through their minds as they encounter Jesus? And Jesus asks them, what do you want? Let's read John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So how does John know who Jesus is? Verse 32 then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest 
is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. Or what are you seeking, as it's in the original language, or what are you looking for? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John had said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So if we circle back, did you notice all the ways that John describes Jesus? John says, look, it's the Lamb of God, right? We saw that a couple of times. He takes away the sin of the world. He's the Messiah, the Christ. We saw that a couple of times. He's the one who's gonna baptize with the Holy Spirit. He is the chosen one of God. And these two followers that we meet here, they call Jesus Rabbi Teacher. I wonder as you put yourself in the shoes of these two who are following Jesus, like, like what, what does that look like for you? That intrigues me. Did you trail far behind him or were you close? Right? Are you playing it cool, trying to make it not too obvious that you're tailing him, or are you pretty much directly running up to him? How long do you follow him before he calls out to you? And what is your immediate gut reaction to that? Like, I would love to know how this actually played out in real life. That intrigues me. But, but the question that these two give Jesus when, when he asks, what do you want, right? They ask a question back, and that's, where are you staying? And while that question that they're asking might feel random, they have essentially, at this point, decided to follow Jesus. And they assume that he's heading back to wherever he's operating out of. And so this question is essentially, Jesus, where are you leading us? And Jesus answers with, come and see. This is an invitation to follow Jesus. And, and the very next story that we see in John chapter 1, if we were to continue into verse 43, Jesus calls some other folks and there makes his call even more explicit, come follow me. But it is the same idea, the same call, the same invitation that's found in these words, come and see. And so here's exactly what has just happened in this invitation to come and see. What started out as a question, what do you want, is ultimately answered by the acceptance of this invitation to come and follow Jesus, to come and see. And so if we bring this question into 2019, the answer to what do you want what is it that you're truly looking for? That answer is ultimately found in and can only be found in following Christ. 
And this is the thing that makes this question so very powerful. So not talking about looking for a lost wallet or wanting to find a place to eat after church today or not talking about wanting the Eagles to win this afternoon. Good luck with that. But if, if Jesus were to ask you this very same question, what do you want? What is it that you're seeking? What are you looking for? How, how do you answer that? Right? So, so let's be super clear here. Right? What is your real answer to this question? What is the thing that continually draws your thoughts and your efforts and your emotions and your time and your resources and your money? See, this real kind of answer is your obituary kind of answer. When your life is over and people are capturing the essence of who you were and your life, what will they say about you? What will be the things or the thing that, that, that mark your life, the, the thing or the things that you have spent your life chasing after? Again, I'm looking for your raw answer to this, right? Not, not the sanitized, cleaned up answer, not the polite answer, not the Sunday school answer, but your real answer. The answer that you would give me if, if you were to say, when I look at the trajectory of my life, I'm chasing after blank. And you get to fill in that blank with your life. I'm chasing after blank. What is that for you? What is it that you really want? What is it that you're really looking for? So again, if right now Jesus asks you, what do you want? What are you looking for? How do you answer that? And then, and this question might be even more to the point, and I'm taking this from the book that we mentioned just a few moments ago, Jesus, questions that Jesus asks. But if right now Jesus asked you, what do you want, what are you looking for, would you be comfortable or uncomfortable with your answer to that? And however you might answer that question, why? Because see, here's the thing, whether you realize it or not, your daily life will reflect what you want most. Your daily life will reflect what you are looking for, what you are seeking after what you want. This afternoon, I get to jump back into my second year of training to be a spiritual director. And kind of a fancy name, but spiritual direction is simply helping people notice and explore and deepen their relationship with God. How God is moving around them personally in their life. And there's usually an invitation to respond that's found there. But as part of this opening class for year two, I had to, to read this book called The Kingdom Life, which is all about what it means to truly follow Jesus. And that really is the invitation that's here, this what do you want, this come and see. I think this book really gets at what is in front of us and on the table for you and I this morning. Here's some, some lines out of this book. The distinctive of following Jesus is that every follower from the most gifted to the ordinary is called to imitate Christ and to become like him. And the beauty of it is that he provides the power to make significant progress in that direction. Most would immediately think of the gospel stories of how Jesus lived and worked and died and that would be exactly where to begin. The second most common thought would be the fruit of the Spirit. 
love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, this is right on. See, we've got a natural tendency to separate the religious life from, from the everyday real life. The religious life is attending church services, observing special religious holidays, keeping Advent calendars, and trying not to eat dessert during Lent. The religious life is also daily devotions, going on Christian mission trips, attending a Bible study, helping the poor, and many good things called Christian. All these activities have intrinsic value, but they, they still may leave your everyday real life untouched. The everyday real life is how we treat our spouse and kids. The way we drive our cars, the, the media that we take in, it's what's going on under the hood. A person may be very attentive to his or her religious life, but be ruled by worry and anger, pride and lust in his or her everyday life. So many times we think we've been transformed because our lives have been free from murder and theft and adultery. How sad that we have accepted a limited definition of, of life change as the exercise of our religious duties and the absence of public sin that will embarrass us. This is what happens when we find our level of religious experience that will allow us to hold on to the core of our flesh, which is to maintain control of our lives. What this leaves out is the pursuit of God, the joys of surrender, the fullness of heart that is so passionate for God that it directs and governs our attitudes and decisions. William Law wrote back in the 1700s, if we can find any Christian that sincerely intends to please God, an intention, desire, that really is what, that question, what do you want? If we can find any Christian that sincerely intends to please God in all their actions as the best and happiest thing in the world, whether they be young or old, single, married, men or women, if they have put this intention, or if they have but this intention, it will be impossible for them to do otherwise. This one principle will, will carry them to this height of love and they will find themselves unable to stop short of it. Faith is only real in obedience. If, if faith is only pondering, doing what God said, it is not faith. Obedience is uncomplicated when someone who has given his life for you asks for your help. Your first impulse is to say yes. My life, your life then is the answer. God spoke, God acted, God invites. Now what is my answer? I answer with my life, with my obedience. So what does a person do in order to get from, from, from complexity to an uncomplicated obedience? That is the divine dance that we do every day. We join hands with Jesus. He leads and we follow. Our time is getting away from us this morning, and so I don't have time to get into this, but, but the book goes on to talk about spiritual disciplines as the way that we reach out and we join hands with Jesus in a very real way. Again, we don't have time to unpack those this morning. But this thing called spiritual disciplines, right? Things like silence and solitude and prayer and reflecting on scripture and serving others, right? These are, are not things that you do because the pastor told you you need to. 
or because it earns brownie points with God or that you engage in some sort of real legalistic way or, or God is going to smite you if you don't read two chapters out of your Bible every single day. No, the disciplines are first and foremost relationship tools. The things that, that you do to, to know God in a very real and vibrant and experiential sort of way, things that you can do to place your hand in his. Like, I, I love this image from the book. We join hands with Jesus. He leads, we follow. This is what the disciplines do. It is a way to join hands with Christ as he leads and we follow. But it starts with your answer to this question, what do you want, what are you seeking, what is it that you are looking for? Last year we spent all kinds of time looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five and six and seven, and we looked at these two lines, these two quotes. There's no other way to wholeness and happiness than to live in utter dependence on Jesus. And the degree to which you experience the beautiful life is tied directly to the degree to which you orient your whole actual real life towards Jesus. All right, so this is what is, is in this invitation before these two that we meet in John chapter one. This is, the, is what is in the invitation before you this morning. What do you want? How do you answer that? How is your life answering that right now? Is your answer leading you to the wholeness and happiness that, that can only be found as you take real steps to, to deepen and aim your real, actual, everyday life towards Christ? As you aim to build your life on Christ Jesus. So what is it that you want? What is it that you're looking for?